0: We have been on a series about real faith questions, and I feel like there's an honesty in these questions that's refreshing, that sometimes we don't feel like it's safe to bring our real questions, and so we wanna be a place where it's safe to ask those questions. And so you know, we were just singing about God being a miracle worker and making a way, and yet how many people have had prayers that didn't feel like they got answered? The way through didn't seem to ever come out the way that you hoped for or expected. And there's like, you know, romanticized ways of talking about unanswered prayers. Some of God's greatest gifts, right, Garth Brooks, are unanswered prayers. Uh, I think last week we had theologian Willie Nelson this week, theologian Garth Brooks. Um, and, and in that song, he, he goes and he sees, he's at his hometown and he sees a a girl that he probably was praying, like, I, God, just, I love this person. Let me, let me be with this person. And, and it didn't work out that way. And at the time, it felt like um, God hadn't answered his prayers. And, and then he has his family, has life, it goes on, and he's like, oh, I guess this was a good thing not to get this prayer answered. And so we know that there are some of those things in our lives, that we just want some things, and they don't happen. And it actually sometimes turns out as a good thing for us. Uh, But sometimes we also want prayer to get out of pain, to get out of difficult things. Uh, And and that's a little bit less of a pleasant experience not to have an answer for. Uh, And our Bible is filled with these kinds of stories. I mean, Christ in Gethsemane. Lord, like, is there another way? Yet your will. Think about Paul, he's got the thorn in his flesh. Hey, I wish this would go away. I think about the Beatitudes, Jesus on the mountaintop saying, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those when you are persecuted. It's like, Jesus, it would have been a really nice if you just said, you're not going to mourn. You're not going to be persecuted. You're not going to be hungry. But it's like, hey, there's a, going to be a blessing. There's God at work in the midst of this thing. But it feels like maybe that prayer wasn't answered. And I think another level which we get to the question of today What about when I pray that I might be better, that I might be transformed, I might be more like God intends me to be, and yet I know that I'm not actually there yet. So the question that was asked for today was, was, uh, if God is so holy-making, if God wants to transform, if God is so holy-making, why do I struggle with the same thing that I did 20 years ago? And it's this question of like, hey, if I'm praying about this thing, if I, if I want to be different, I want to be changed, I want God to heal me, I want God to move me, why does it feel like I'm making no progress? Doesn't God want that for me? Isn't this a good thing to ask for? Like we get when we say, I asked for the wrong things that God would say no. But doesn't this feel like a good thing? Why am I not changing like I think God wants me to change? And so that's the, the real question that we are sitting with today. And so I want to read for you uh, from Paul's letter to Timothy. It's the first letter we have in our scripture to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1. And uh, we're going to read verses 12, and we're going to stop at 15 for now. So hear the word from Paul. I am grateful to Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me, because he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a man of violence, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly and unbelief, and the grace of the Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is sure and true and worthy of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. We'll pause there for now. Uh, There's a lot in this text. I just want to walk through a few things that really stand out. The first is we get a few words in, and I feel like I need to make some clarification. Uh, In our translation, if you're reading the NRSV along with us, it says, I am grateful. And uh, I like to get my Greek Bible out and make sure I don't lose some of that language training uh, over time as you get rusty. So I pulled out the book. Uh, The first two words in Greek are super easy words. Everybody knows them who studies Greek and it says, I have grace. I'm like, that doesn't feel like I'm grateful. Uh, There's something similar there, but like, what's going on here? And I have grace of Christ Jesus. And it's like an idiom. And we have these phrases in English uh, that we know aren't literally what's being said. Um, I've got some written down here. It's a piece of cake. You're not actually usually looking at an actual piece of cake. You're saying it's easy, right? that's the last straw, bite the bullet. We have these phrases that we know we don't mean it literally, but there is something powerful of this idea that this word, this phrasing of I have grace, meaning I am grateful for this person. This person has graced me. I have grace because of them. And this thankfulness that Paul has just to even start this discussion. I'm grateful to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me, who has empowered me. I feel like a lot of times we kind of settle Christianity into um, just God's verdict about you as just like innocent or guilty and that kind of thing where it's just like God's pronouncement. But Paul says here, God has strengthened me. God has empowered me. Uh, It's not just about God's declarations, it's God moving and doing something in you. God has strengthened me because he judged me faithful. He judged me, he considered me, he, he thought about it. And God looks at Paul and says, You're faithful, you're trustworthy. And Paul's going to say, I didn't deserve that. If you looked at me, I didn't look faithful. I didn't look trustworthy. If God looks at me, he, he would see a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man. If you're gonna pick who who do I want to call on, who do I want to serve, who do I want in ministry, Paul's saying, I was not the ideal candidate. God looked at me and said, you're faithful while I was in sin. Uh, Easy way to think about sin, sin is every time we fail to love God or each other the way that we are called to. And so he didn't love God well, blaspheming God's name. He didn't love his neighbors well. He was violent, persecuting. And so while Paul uh, is feeling like he is unworthy of this calling, He's grateful to Christ who strengthened him because he considered him faithful and appointed him to service, appointed him to ministry. He gave him a task. And he says, I received that mercy as I'd acted ignorantly and unbelief. And I love this image. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. He's like, I am so grateful. I have so much grace. The grace filled my cup and overflowed, and it was filled with Christ's love. And that love just overtook me, and that grace overtook me. So much so that, isn't it true? He says this saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance. Hey, you've heard it. Hey, isn't it sure true that Christ Jesus came to save sinners? That he didn't come just for no reason, he didn't just have extra time on his hand, he wanted to transform people. And often when we say Christ came to, to save sinners, we say those sinners. Christ came to save those people. You see the, the news story or whatever it is, and you're like, yeah, God needs to save those people. But Paul doesn't do that. Paul turns it on himself. And he says, for that very reason I received mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Christ might display his utmost patience. He goes on. He, he calls himself, in some translations, the chief of the sinners. The foremost of sinners. And Greek is just literally the first. He's like the first one in line. You got a sinner group, Paul's at the front. He's the leader, he, you know, in, in schools as they're getting back to classrooms, all the kids want to fight over who gets to be the front of the line. This isn't the kind of line you want to be on the front of, but Paul is like, hey, I'm there. I'm the foremost. I'm the example. And I think there's something beautiful and powerful in that, because Sometimes you might look at your own spiritual journey and feel like you haven't made any progress. You're messing everything up. And you might feel like you're alone in that, that you're awful, that you've, you've let God down. And Paul says, I am the first of sinners. He didn't say I was the first, the foremost, the chief. In the present, I am. He still sees himself as not having lived up fully to who God is. And so he considers himself in that place and you might consider yourself in that place. You've realized, man, no matter how many times I try to get better at this, I keep failing. And you're in the same boat here with Paul. And I think that we we get stuck into that pattern where we just can't see another possibility for us. We just see that we, we're stuck there. So I, I want to show you uh, an illustration. If If you can't If your vision requires you to come later and see this a little bit more closely up in person, I've got a little illustration here. Um, This is developed by Mario Ponzo. Uh, Looks kind of like railroad tracks, right? See some railroad tracks? Uh, This is called Ponzo's Illusion, actually, not an illustration. What's weird in this image is it looks like the top line is bigger than the lower line. Uh, But they're actually the exact same size. But your brain plays tricks on you, because as you're looking at it, you, you perceive distance, and we know that things get smaller as they get further off into the distance. And so there's something in our brain that keeps wanting to read this line as being bigger. And it's a, it's a weird, trippy thing. I've been looking at this all week, and so now I'm stuck only seeing the red lines. <laughs> I'm like, this is still an illusion, right? Because it, it plays tricks on you, and eventually you can actually start to just look at it, of like, I'm only looking at the lines, they're even, and you have to like tell yourself that. Um, But there's something weird spatially where our brain needs to put structure to things. It needs to have some sort of reasoning, some sort of system. And so we put patterns to all sorts of things, things that are even random, that we we give it purpose, we give it, this must make sense. And for some of us, our brains structure our lives and we see ourselves super positively. Like, man, aren't I great? I've got everything figured out. Look at those people, they don't have it figured out. And our brain has structured things puffing ourselves up a lot. And it might not be completely accurate. Probably not. Uh, We also have our brains sometimes structure us the opposite direction, a little bit maybe like Paul here, of I'm the absolute worst person. I can't do anything right, I always fail, I always fall short, I'm not good enough. And our brain structures our world to seeing ourselves as smaller. And it could be the same line, same size. But the way we see the world can change how we experience it, how we think about it. And so one of the things we have to ask when we're asking, like, hey, God, why aren't I transforming? One, we have to know, am I actually changing? And I just haven't realized it. Am I sitting still? I think a lot of us are in spiritual freefall, where we're not quite sure where the ground is. We're not quite sure where the next step is, and we're just kind of tumbling through life, just free-falling. There's a a YouTuber that I really enjoy. Uh, I'm gonna recommend you go watch this video at some point, because it's just a fun experience. Uh, There's a YouTuber named Mark Rober. He's a former NASA engineer who now just does YouTube videos. A lot of it's like science videos for for younger people, Uh, but he sometimes has fun ideas. And so he, like many people, had a backyard. He had a bird feeder in the backyard. Anybody have bird feeders? Anybody have other things other than birds get into the bird feeder? Well, he got a little annoyed that the squirrels kept getting into his bird feeder, and he kept buying bird feeders that said squirrel-proof, and yet they really weren't. The squirrels were really clever, would always figure out how to get to uh, the bird feed. And so, like you do if you were a former NASA engineer, he designed a Ninja Warrior-style obstacle course for the squirrels. That if you make it through my course, you deserve the prize at the end of this competition. Set up cameras, made all this elaborate things. And so, um, sometimes they'd get to a platform, and if they stand on the platform too long, the, the platform just crashes out from under them. Or they get to one spot, and it's a catapult. You might be concerned as an animal lover of like, wait, they're catapulting squirrels. And uh, his, his wife was very concerned about that too. Um, but the answer was the squirrels were perfectly safe. Um, squirrels are actually quite amazing. Um, one, they're more clever than you expect. But two, you can drop them off of virtually any height on earth and they will never uh, be hurt by it. They, they just know how to land. And it's actually really impressive because um, Like in science, there's terminal velocity, like the maximum speed that you can drop at. For a human, if you're like skydiving and you're flat, um, it's around 120 something miles an hour that we fall at. A squirrel (laughs) falls only in the 20s miles per hour. Really, really slow. So if they're at the top of a tree or almost into space, (laughs) they land at the same speed it's really amazing. They, they know how to land. They know how to deal with it, and they need to. I mean, their only advantage is in trees. They need to know how to land and fall from a tree. And so they do a couple techniques to survive these falls. Um, one of the things that they do is they can turn their heads and their eyes to where they're going to land very, very fast. 300 milliseconds, they've already got their eyes on the exact spot they're going to land at. And at first, they might be flying all over the place, right? But as soon as they find that landing spot, their head never turns. They know how to rotate their body so that that head always stays focused on the landing spot. And so they never lose that sight. Then they stretch their arms and their legs out to get really flat. The tail gets out, and they become their own parachute. It's Like, I'm going to create as much drag as possible to slow down this fall. And lastly when it gets right near the end, they bring their arms back, brace, you know, if you've ever seen a cat land, brace for that impact and they're perfectly fine. Then they're running and jumping again. They're not worried about it. And there's actually some wisdom and some insight uh, that maybe we can take from these little squirrels uh, in the world of like, what is it to find our spiritual legs in the midst of free falling, in the midst of like spiritual vertigo where you're like, I'm not sure if I'm, If I'm getting any better, I'm not sure if I'm messing everything up more. Like, where am I? I think we can learn from uh, how to fall well. And so when you think about uh, how to fall, um, I'm going to invite you to think about three ways of praying in your everyday life. So if you're feeling spiritual vertigo, if you can't find your footing, pray in detail. When you pray in detail, uh, it's like, not just thinking, oh, I kind of want to land on the ground, but you're finding the spot on the ground you want to land. Because uh, some of us, we, we pray, God, make me patient. And that's a big concept. And you're bound to mess that up, right? But like, what if you're praying, God, make me patient the next time a red light happens and I'm running late. God, make me patient. When I've been hungry for this like amazing, this food I love, it's my birthday, we go out to this restaurant and they're out of it. Oh. Help me be patient the next time I talk to my, my spouse, my family, my coworker, and they just weren't listening to me. The more detail we give, the more landing spots we give, the better your prayer life will be, and the better you'll be able to see where spiritual transformation happens. What if we prayed in detail? What if we prayed consistently? Because it's one thing to find the landing spot, and it's another if you're like, oh, yeah, that's that landing spot, and then you just start spiraling again. Like, that didn't do you any good. Keep your eyes on where you're headed. You know, and so think about in your life, when you've had dark days, and you're like, I can't help, I got a bargain with God, what do I need to do? God, I need this answer. And then like a day later, a week later, a month later, your life is back to kind of, you're just in your regular autopilot, and you've given up on that closeness or that prayer, and, and you're just, you've you got distracted. But what is it to make prayer a consistent practice, where it's not just on the lowest of lows, but you're regularly trying to see where you and God are, and where you and the world around you are together? And so it's a frame of reference to keep your, your bearing on where the horizon is. And so when I think about prayer, um, people have different kinds of prayer that they're, they're used to. Uh, I'm really fond of the examine prayer, which is like an end-of-the-day prayer, where you pray back through your day. So you think, what was my morning like? What, what did I do this morning? And then you pray about it. What do you notice about your life? What was my midday like? What was my afternoon? What was my evening like? And if you have thematic things that you're concerned about in your life, about yourself, about your patience, how patient was I this morning when I made it to work, when I made it to my friend's house, when I had lunch? When, you know, Work your way through the day, that detail and the continual practice of every day coming back to that thing. At some point, you're either realizing how much we need God or you're making a little bit of progress. God's moving in that spot. Because it gets harder and harder to say every night, Lord, I wish I was more patient when my boss said this to me. That every time the boss then talks to you, you're like, I've been praying about this. Like, and you're like, I don't want to be praying about this. But regularly making yourself go to God and pray in detail, and maybe, just maybe, you start to find some footing, some landing ground. And lastly, if you've prayed with detail, if you're praying consistently, Pray with your hands and feet. It doesn't do any great. It doesn't do great if, you're, if you found your landing spot and then you just like <laughs> went flat into the ground. Right? I mean, it's like belly flopping into the pool. Like, this isn't going to go well. And if a squirrel just belly flopped onto the ground, that's not going to feel great, even at 20 something miles an hour. But some of us, we spend our time just thinking about it. Oh, hey, God, would you do this? Would you make me more patient? But like, how am I going to put my hands and feet? Into this? How can I actually think of some practices to go, go live this out? And I'm going to keep doing it, and I'm going to keep God, asking God to make it a part of who I am, and maybe eventually I'll find myself where my routine is to live this out. And it doesn't take so much mind power, so much will every single time, and it becomes a part of who you are. So How do I use my hands and feet to actually live this prayer out? not just to talk about it, but to do something with it. I think if we prayed in better detail and prayed more regularly and prayed with our lives, with our hands and our feet, uh, we would not only find our our footing, we would find where God is moving us. We would be shaped even better, even more, and that we would find God strengthening us. Because God didn't just look at each of you and say, I see the faithful one in you even at your lowest day. God has invited each of us into mission, has invited us into a calling, into a trajectory. We have a path that God is inviting us into. So I want to read this last verse here that Paul says to Timothy. He says, For that very reason uh, I received mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, as the model, as the example, as the prototype, As the foremost, Jesus Christ might display the utmost patience, making me an example to those who would come to believe in him for eternal life. Maybe my mess-ups, maybe my trajectories, maybe when I land it well, maybe that will help somebody else turn and see, and they might turn to God, that they might have life. Not that they might feel shame, not that they might feel uh, all this burden, but that they might have life. And I love in this, this mission, this calling that we're invited into, not to just transform ourselves, but to be a part of what makes the world want to be transformed by God, that Paul reminds us of something that if you're struggling with feeling like God's just not answering your prayers, uh, remember here his words, so that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might display the utmost patience. We can get really frustrated at God's timing. Feel like, God, when are you going to do something here? It is a powerful spiritual practice to just ask yourself each day, God, what are you being patient with me about? And if you're remembering God's patience with you, when you've messed things up, when you've been distant, when you've ran away, then you can turn back to God and say, How patient can I be with God? How long, O Lord? And we're in this relationship, we're in this dynamic thing together. Uh, but i think it shapes how we see our patience with god when we remember god's patience with us and so may god's patience may god's love may god's mercy invite us to extend that grace into our lives and into everybody's lives around us may we end like paul ends here in verse 17 to the king of the ages to the god of eternity immortal invisible the only god Be the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, uh, you know where each of our hearts are at right now. You know what things we struggle with, what things that we won't even admit to others that we struggle with. Lord, I ask that you would be the gravitational pull that brings us in, that you would draw us close to you, where we would spend time, talking with you, listening, and speaking. Lord, I ask that we might have a depth to our conversations with you that goes beyond just big picture things, but gets into the granular, the details of our life that you care about. Lord, I ask that you would give us courage and endurance and steadfastness that when it's easy to run away and disappear and when it's easy to kind of fall back into status quo and equilibrium, that you might continue to bring us out, bring us forward to where you're leading us. Lord, I ask that you would help us to live out your calling in our lives, that it wouldn't just be cliche phrases in a church setting, but it'd be lived on weekday mornings, family's house at friends in the workplace Lord, let our lives be shaped by you let our prayers shape uh, our our walking with you lord for all who are in here who who feel like they are less than lord i ask that you might help them see that they are no smaller than any others Lord, I ask that you would help your love and grace be be felt and be real. For all of us who feel that we are bigger than we actually are, that we feel like we're more important, Lord, help us to see that we are equals with all of our neighbors. Lord, help us to love like you love. Let us be a community who loves like you love. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.